This is Live On Purpose Radio, episode 502, Your Mental Wealth Team, with Mike Pagan. Now is the only time to create and live the life you love. I'm Dr. Paul Jenkins, the positivity psychologist. My job is to connect you to powerful positive psychology principles that immediately upgrade your relationships, business, and mental health. Are you ready? Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live On Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live On Purpose Radio. Joining me today is Mike Pagan. He is an author, a speaker, a coach. He's helping people with their mental wealth. In fact, he has a book out by that title, Mental Wealth. And I am excited to welcome to the show today from the UK, Mike Pagan. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me, Dr. Paul. Very pleased to be here. We're going to have a little fun today because you are onto some things that I think we miss sometimes, things that are very important when it comes to, you call it mental wealth. Can you give us a little introduction to that idea? What is it that you're talking about here? So so for me, mental wealth is clearly a play off the language of mental health. Uh, But but to start off with, I'm not a mental health expert. I'm not a counselor. My focus is very much on dealing with the challenges surrounded uh, by isolation. And when we have the problems with isolation, it means we uh, lose creativity, we stop making decisions, and we get into that whole caught up in that world of procrastination. And then in turn, that can have a detrimental effect on our mental health. Uh, So the way I challenge this is if when we build the right support network around us, which I call a mental wealth team, that means we've got great people that enable us to make braver decisions, uh, ask better questions of us than we can of ourselves, enabling us to become more successful, happier, and most importantly of all, have more fun along the way. Oh, if we're not having fun, we're doing it wrong. Absolutely. (laughs) Mike, I'm thinking as you introduced this topic to us, isolation, especially in the past few years as we've dealt with a global pandemic, Uh, A new phrase has come into our vocabulary that maybe we didn't even have before called social distancing. Mm -hmm. And there's there are cultural elements here that I think are contributing to the isolation that a lot of people feel. But I'm also wondering, as we get started here, Mike, what is it in your story that makes this such an important topic? Can you tell us how you got so fired up about mental wealth? Uh, well, for, for me, the, the reality check uh, came came to the fore whilst I was writing the book on this that totally brought it clear to me was when, sadly, I, I lost a friend to suicide. Oh. Um, he was uh, ugly divorce, estranged from his son, plus all the problems of COVID and everything else, an intelligent man, and he, he took uh, the way out. And I'm not saying... If I'd asked a better question or somebody else had, but clearly somebody wasn't asking the right questions of him at the right time, in the right place, in the right environment. And Mm. and the the saddest part of that story is that it's not unique to me. 
too many of us right. know those stories. We're either one degree or two degrees separated from that, that situation. And I, I believe firmly that when we have the right people around us asking better questions, looking out for us, challenging us, um, putting us, uh, basically asking us the questions that we already know the answers to, but we're either avoiding or too afraid to face because we're feeling right. isolated. So we get the right people working with us and we then can build up a positive mental wealth balance. So if you think of it like a bank account, we're putting credits in there because we've got good people. Yes. Part of the, the scariest element of this is those people around us have to evolve as we evolve. We transition from 15 to 20 years old, from 20 to 25, whatever. We're constantly transitioning. Before COVID, there were certain people in our networks which were great at that time, but they are no longer fit for the purpose going forward. So we need to find the 2.0, the 3.0, and intentionally recruit the right people who've got our back and will give us the right support along the way. This is a process, not oh, yeah. an event, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and as you point this out, I think that is so astute to see that this is something that is in a constant evolution. And Mike, I'm sorry to hear about your friend. Uh, uh, a friend sad, and colleague of mine, yeah. same thing this past it's, it's year. It's too familiar, but it, it, it's but the reality was it created an avatar in my mind's eye whilst I was writing. Uh, yes, because it was basically could could he have seen this? Would it have made a difference? We can only we can only um, guess and speculate. But but the reality right. part of it is when we have good people uh, challenging and asking questions because we've empowered them to do that. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's one, one of the things that this, this will irritate some of your listeners, but in a good way. That's okay. Uh, that's okay. And I, I challenge people to create a mental wealth scorecard. And fundamentally what that means is I want you to write down the list of names of the people that are in your network. Just a, a random list of these people that are committed to you. They're all part of your network. Mm -hmm. And as, as people start doing that, they'll, they'll get one, two, three, 10, 20, whatever the number is. I then ask you to score them. And this is totally subjective. So this is against you being a doctor of psychology and, and wanting everything scientific. This is totally subjective. <laughs> but it's I want you to score yeah. these people one to ten. One is a low score. Ten is a high score. And do not think I've got to give Bob a higher score because he might be offended. Uh, nobody's going to see these. You're scores. not going to show it to Bob. No, it, this is purely for you. So you get those scores in there. And then what you'll do is you'll look back at the scores afterwards. And if you've got somebody who scores a one, two, or a three, that's fine. They know you. That's it. Right. Right. Yep. If they score a four or a five, there's a reason why you're acquainted with them, why they're in your network. It could be school. It could be church. It could be sports, whatever. But if you didn't turn up at the normal venue for two months, they won't pick up the phone and ring you. Um, and then you turn up and say, oh, hi, Mike, where have you been? I broke my leg. Hadn't you heard? Oh, no, sorry. Oh, you look good. Uh, so, yeah. so, so you know them for a reason, but they're not that close. You've then got your sixes and sevens. And in there can be your, your great friends, uh, family, all sorts of people. And they are there. Uh, you go to birthdays, weddings, bar mitzvahs, uh, whatever it happens to be. However, you're not comfortable being open, honest, and vulnerable with these guys about 
your hopes, your fears, your finances, your aspirations, your goals. So you're not going to be mentally naked with them as to where you're going and what you're doing. Those are your eight, nines, and tens. And those are the only ones that count in your mental wealth team. And, if you, ah. and there are people, I, I did a talk at a conference on uh, the Friday the other day, and there was a lady in the audience, ex-military, strong woman, brilliant in everything she did. And she came up to me afterwards and said, Mike, you've the total epiphany. You've really scared the life out of me, but motivated me as well, because she had zero people that scored eight, nine and ten in her world. Mm-hmm. She was give, 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 giving all the time. And everybody else was taking and she wasn't looking after herself, wasn't anything else. So this gives us a baseline of, OK, this is where we are today. And then in three, four months time, do it again and so on. And you keep building and you gradually get to the point where you're getting eight, 10 or even 15 people that are scoring eight, nines and tens. And it makes you so much stronger and more powerful because you've, you've dealt with isolation because you've got people you've empowered and appointed that you've intentionally selected to have your back and boy, will they challenge you. Wow. You know, as you were talking, Mike, I was thinking about my colleague and friend who we also lost to suicide several months ago. Yeah. And he's a professional psychologist. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what I want to emphasize here is that that doesn't make him immune. I don't think anyone is immune. No, no to this isolation that you're talking about. And I even think about where would he have put me on the score? Mm. And honestly, I would have been probably a six or a seven. Yeah. Uh, And so we would knowing that it's, it's scary. In my world, my sister would probably have me as an 11. Um, sort of Uh, my, my parents, our parents are no longer around. So I'm, I'm very much her, her first point. Whereas yeah. in my world, she'd only score a six or a seven. Now, that doesn't mean to say I don't love my sister. But yeah. what it means is it, it's part of that inner sanctum and challenges and queries and support. She's not my first point of call. So it doesn't have to be a symbiotic relationship here. It's right. knowing who's right for you. And this, this is that thing about being a little bit selfish. Because they've got to yeah. be right for you. And if they're no longer right for you, fit for purpose going forward, then, okay, I'm not saying dump them and run. That might be a little bit rude, a bit callous, but it is about knowing, okay, how do I then move on and find the 2.0, the 3.0 of that right. type? Well, you're talking about an awareness and acknowledgement yeah. of just where you are. And it's not right or wrong for someone to be a two or a three. That's no. fine. For us to know that and be aware of it, I think is the key. Because like you said, Mike, if we don't have people in that eight, nine, 10 range, we will feel isolated. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're spot on with this. There, there are certain people who um, you, you just doing this exercise, you suddenly realize, wow, she's a five. But I want her to be a nine because they're awesome. They're brilliant. Yeah. But actually, in reality, commitment to me n- not there. So, okay, right. make a decision. How do I uh, develop them further? Or do I find a different version for that particular environment? Because we right. have different people in that support network in that me- mental wealth team who will help us accordingly. And each one varies. Let's go there for a minute. 
Mike, I, I kind of uh, previewed this a little earlier uh, <laughs> as we were talking. When you talk about a mental wealth team, there's different levels of that team that are important. And I know you usually start with self-care. Yes. Um, and I, I would love to hit those four categories uh, and just have you give us a little overview of each one. But start off with self-care. Why is that so important? Well, well, for me, the, the self-care <clears throat> bit, as, as is known uh, uh, across the world, but it doesn't mean to say we take it seriously or look at it, is if you're not looking after one, uh, number one, then how can you be the strength, the strong person, the fit person, the healthy person to look after the other members of your family when the wheels fall off for them, but you're already burned out, overwhelmed and fatigued. Mm. So we have to put ourselves in a position where we are, I, I use the word again, selfishly looking after number one first. And that comes down to understanding what we as individuals need to do to reboot, to rekindle, to refloat, to re-energize. Um, what you do for escapism, uh, so where your sanctuary is. There's a beautiful uh, mm. place in the UK down on the south coast called Sandbanks. It's one of the most expensive seaside resorts in, in the UK. And I, I used to go there as a child before it got expensive. <laughs> um, and, but my, my parents' ashes are scattered in the sand dunes down there. So for me, oh. it's a stunning area with 270 degree views, beautiful uh, everything. And I can just go there and be at peace. It's For me, it's a personal sanctuary. Now, for other people, it's the coffee shop around the corner where you've got that chair next to the fireplace upstairs. Uh, for somebody yeah. else, it's the tree in the field just over the back of the farm. Whatever it happens to be, it's it's that that place of of Zen. If you if if you follow Buddhism, I don't. But if you did, then that's what you'd call it. And it's where do we go? Uh, because when you, when you get these things right, uh, the the other thing I do is um, I'm I'm a very active person. I'm a, a weekend warrior. Uh, I'm proving to my children that I'm not old. Something like that, anyway. Uh, but 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 it does mean though that uh, I, I've done many activities. Um, a, lot of, a lot of open water swimming nowadays. I used to be a serious rugby player. Uh, but uh, the, the reason why I say that is I, I've always said historically I was rubbish at meditation and mindfulness because mm. I either can't sit still or I'd fall asleep. Yeah, there was there was there was no yeah. middle ground. But actually, I have for decades practiced active mindfulness where you do repetitive activities over and over again. And for me, stroke after stroke in a, in a beautiful lake or river or in the sea, and you get out of the water half an hour, two hours later, whatever it is, and you've just got that clarity of mind, that refresh, that reboot. Right. And it's utterly gorgeous. And there's so much uh, uh, discussion nowadays on cold water therapies and others like that. And, I, and I've been in that world for, for many years. So this is part of the self-care. It's doing the weird stuff that works for you and not apologizing <laughs> for it. Yes. That's so important because your, your unique reboot um, is whatever that happens to be. Mine is what's mine. They're all very personal, but it's down to hobbies. It's down to stuff that we just love. If it works yes. for you, then do it. Can I add something before we move to the next level? Yeah, go for it. If if I were to treat you the way I treat myself, would we still be friends? What we say to ourselves is part of self-care. 
Mm-hmm. And we could go out to the resort and to our sanctuary and have all of these wonderful things that you've called to our attention and be having a dialogue in our own head that is cruel and unforgiving. That, that spoils all of the self-care we're doing on the outside. So as a psychologist, I'm, I'm really concerned about how we treat ourselves in the way we talk to ourselves. <laughs> It's, That's got to be part used of it. used the phrase before we talked about mental hygiene uh, before yes. the call started. And, it, and it's that ability to just re- repetitively look after ourselves in the correct way. Yes. The, the, that voice in your head you're describing there, there's only one person alive, or maybe hope potentially alive, or who has been alive in your world or one's world that can ever speak to you the way that little voice in your head does. And that's a sibling. Mm. <laughs> when, when you were a child, when, when a sister or a brother, they knew the buttons to push. They could just <laughs> say the cruelest, right. darkest, nastiest thing that because they've lived with you for the last 10, 15, 20 years, and they know your weak spot. The, yeah. uh, that's what the little voice is in your head. It's the evil sibling that just uh. says such nasty rubbish to you. And it's sort of, okay, we have to manage those. We have to control them and talk to them, communicate with them. (laughs) Well, we could spend an entire hour on self-care. Let's move on to the the coach element. You've got some fascinating insights about this as well. Well, for for me, the coach, I've I've, I've been a practicing coach for 20, 25 years now, but uh, my, my coach is also a psychologist like yourself. Uh, so he knows I'm lying before I've opened my mouth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't mean lying as in fraudulent, as in wrong. It's lying as in uh, self-delusion, um, kidding myself, or just saying platitudes that I think he might want to hear as actually I don't believe in them. Right. And, that, and that coach has that external viewpoint, and they can see the self-sabotage habits that we build and we generate for ourselves. And it's knowing what those sabotage habits are and then calling us out on them uh, because they work with you over a period of time. They're not there with a magic wand. Uh, the coach is there to challenge and provoke. And a number of years ago, I, 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 I'm, I'm not an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic, but I've, I've been a habitual drinker since I was young. Um, and he, he challenged me to give up booze for a while, mm-hmm. not, not necessarily for life or anything. So I did. I, I, I gave up for about three, three and a half months. Uh, and two things came out of it. One of it, I realized how selfish I was uh, because mm. it meant, and I mean, that's selfish in the bad side because it meant on a Friday night when my daughters wanted to go nightclubbing in a part, in a te- city local to us, which is not a particularly gorgeous place to come out of at two o'clock in the morning. Um, I was begrudging the fact that I couldn't have a drink that night because I had to drive and collect them. And that was sort of the processing. And you had to think, really? A glass of beer or a gin tonic or wine, whatever, is more important than your cherub getting home safely at two o'clock in the morning. Right. And so there was, there was a reflection point there. And then the other one was the amount of time that gets donated cumulatively on a week-by-week basis to the god of alcohol. So you're out on a Friday, you're out on a Saturday, you have a few selfish drinks on a Sunday with close family. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, just have a few easily we calculated that that was 15 hours a week could be donated to the god of alcohol and that excludes hangover 
(laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. So 15 hours a week is 100 days productivity a year. But we have no time. Right. Right. So now take that mass. And if, if you don't drink alcohol, that's fine. But how much time do you spend watching box sets on Netflix, on Prime? How much time do you spend on TikTok? on uh, other social media platforms, just grazing. Are you spending 15 hours a week on any of those? Chances are one of them you probably are. And that's a self-sabotage habit that vacuums up 100 days productivity per year. That's what my coach helped me discover and unlock in myself. Now, it doesn't mean to say I've given up booze. What it means is I now drink better stuff less often. And and in a more mindful way, perhaps. Because of your awareness. Yep. And and until we're aware of it, it's inaccessible to us. We don't get to choose. But once it comes to our awareness, we're in a position where where we can actually choose what to do with this thing. Yes. Then we can make a decision because other people are helping us. And as a result of that decision, we can get focused. We can get more clarity on what we could and should be doing which enables us to have uh, that that bit more fun and that bit more success and everything else along the way. So having the right coach on your mental wealth team, how essential would you say that is on a scale of zero to a hundred? Oh, it's got to be in the nineties. Yes. And and it's also knowing that uh, I I wrote an article a number of years ago now, uh, (laughs) which, which my coach was on the phone to me about immediately afterwards when it was published uh, because it was how to sack your coach. <laughs> and he, he, he thought there was a, a subliminal message in there. And I said, no, no, it's, uh, teaching people uh, th- that the whole process, because when yes. it becomes too comfortable, clearly we now need to either change the energy, change the environment, or change the individuals. Because if it's too comfortable, then it's just a cozy fireside chat where your ego's being stroked and you're feeling good about yourself whereas actually you're not being pushed to try and achieve more or find the contentment you're looking for or appreciate and enjoying that environment. Right. At which point you need to go get some more, some more eight, nine, 10 people on your list that you don't have to pay for coaching. Exactly. <laughs> so that's the fit for purpose going forward because it, it works. Right. So, so the next one, because I know you, got, you know you're about to ask, so the third area is the professional network. So you, yes. you have to have the professional team. If we get that, and that's accountants, solicitors, and wealth managers. And the reason why those are so important is because without them, they look at things uh, devoid of emotion. Uh, So they may or may not be your best friends, and they may or may not be on speed dial. But when it comes to where you want to go um, and you need somebody to read the 47 pages of terms and conditions because you know it's not your thing. You're considering investing in a property overseas. Um, They're going to look at the paperwork. They're going to ask, is this the real direction or are you just being seduced by the fact it's got a beautiful golf course being built Mm -hmm. in Cyprus that took 15 years to complete and was (laughs) never actually built? Uh, Hypothetically. Hypothetically, of course. Yes. (laughs) The the few hundred that I didn't spend on independent legal advice at that point would have saved me six figures plus. Um, I've just lost finance right. because I didn't have the right. Pe- I, I had this these people um, that were there, but they didn't have my back. I was a number in their roller deck, 
Um, I, there was no relationship. So they weren't asking better questions of me than I was of myself. Your professional team yeah. is like having a team of technicians and uh, data analysts and people who, who specialize in something that you don't have the time or talent or inclination to specialize in, but things that you need to know. And I think what that saves us, you, you mentioned the, uh, the property uh, example. Uh, I've heard one author refer to that as the dumb tax. <laughs> yeah, guilty. You get, you get to pay. <laughs> I've paid plenty of dumb tax in my life. And had I been more open to my professional team and, and had people on that team who had my back, um, I could have saved a lot in the dumb tax. Yeah. Um, you made a point, Mike, that you've you've got to pay for those services. Of course, oh, you're yes. going to pay for those services um, because it's going to save you a lot in dumb taxes. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I may adopt that terminology going forward. <laughs> it, although I have to say, it, just just thinking of it out loud, it 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 it, it it's a kick in the um, stomach. <laughs> and and those of us who have paid significant dumb taxes can relate to that. Oh yeah, because yeah. I've had several myself. In fact, chapter one in my book is called "Lightning Strikes," <laughs> and it's a time when I paid some significant dumb tax. And I'm not I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. I'm just saying that other people know more than we do. And, and we learn. Yes. Well, especially those who have taken the time and paid the tuition to go learn the technology, to yes. become the technician and the expert in their field. I didn't pay that tuition. Uh, but if if I don't engage their knowledge then I get to pay the dumb tax. So <laughs> well, there you more go. fool you, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Do it twice or three times. Oh, blimey. <laughs> now there's another group that rounds out our mental wealth team. Yeah. And uh, this is one that, that I, the, I'd love the to mastermind. have you this one. Yeah. That, that's the mastermind group, the peer support group. Now, the mm -hmm. uh, masterminding for people involved in ongoing professional and personal development are quite often aware of masterminding, but mm -hmm. for a great many, it's it's still not the absolute clarity. And I'm sorry to say, the Americans claim that they invented masterminding through Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich, but that <laughs> is not correct. I I will share a little story here. Please. So in the early 1900s, when Napoleon Hill... In, uh, wrote his book and everything. Uh, th this is when that, that book came out. In the late 1760s, so this is going back nearly 200 years prior to that, Wow! there was a society in Birmingham in the UK called the Lunar Society. And this was set up by Erasmus Darwin, Matthew Bolton, and other luminaries of the day. And they met in private under the light of the full moon. And the reason why they had to meet in private and in secrecy was because they were pushing the boundaries of the Industrial Revolution and potentially pushing the boundaries of religion and heresy with the ideas they were coming up with at the time. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Erasmus Darwin, you may have heard of somebody related to him, 
better known as Charles Darwin. Charles. So the, 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 we're, we're talking amazing people. But what they did was they, they were non-competitive. They were intelligent, great minds, meeting in confidence, discussing different ways of approaching problems and situations and issues that were ahead of them. That mm-hmm. is where then masterminding evolved from that to this day, which is a confidential uh, group meeting under Chatham House rule, which means what goes on in the room stays in the room. Stays there. And it also then means that when you're in the hot seat, people are asking very, very direct questions because they've got experience of expanding into Thailand. Um, and you're thinking of going into the S- Southeast Asia. Uh, so uh, they've got different ideas of what they can throw in and you can debate. The, the end of the time that an individual is in the hot seat, they then commit to the two or three actions that they will deliver upon, deliver upon before the next meeting. And if mm-hmm. you happen to be doing that at 2 a.m., the morning of the next meeting, that's okay. Because you turn up every time having committed and delivered to what you say. So we've got the two sides of this mastermind where you've got total confidentiality, which means you can be open, honest, and vulnerable. And then you've got absolute action and accountability as a result of being there. And if you were to miss any of those actions, then what happens there, you are disrespecting the brain power, the IQ, the intelligence in the room, which therefore means what is the point in you being there? And it's which so is it one of the questions that's likely to come up as well. What, yeah. what are you doing here if you're not committed to this? Totally. And 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 mastermind groups, I, I've found over the years, you, you either uh, I, I will help people set them up or I run my own. Um, but they, they generally last 12 to 18 months before they need a refresh. So you mm-hmm. might have. So I like five to eight people in a mastermind group. Because there's always going to be somebody unavailable because of, of whatever life life does go on, but it means you've got five six people in that room, and then after a period of time, everybody gets a bit too friendly. It gets a mm. bit nice, and that accountability, uh, blunt, directive, challenging language and, and and energy loses some of its potency. So at that point, a couple of people potentially will step away, and new people will join, or you fold the group and you set up another one. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's just that whole fit for purpose going forward. But straight away, it means you've got this whole group to the point. There's a story of a colleague of mine where a particular gentleman got given a terminal diagnosis uh, from the doctor on the morning. In the afternoon, he went to his mastermind group. He didn't go home first. He mm. went to his mastermind group so that he could have the open, honest, confidential conversation with people that he trusted intimately and intrinsically. And that gave him the power and the strength to return to his family that evening, knowing what he was going to do and how he was going to cope. Powerful. Very much Mike, I love the context that you've given us today about the mental wealth team, including the self-care and having the right coach and your professional team of advisors, and then this mastermind group, that, I think, will save lives. I believe so, yes. Put that in place, because this removes the isolation, and 
and really creates a powerful energy, a forward productive energy for your life. Mental wealth. I guess that's why we call it that. It's, it's, it's one of those areas where I, I said at the beginning that, um, a, a, that this lady last week literally just realized that she had nobody who had her back, nobody in her mental wealth team. Hmm. Going forward, over the next three, six, 12 months, she will have the power to intentionally, going through that the, the group of people we've just been describing or that source of people, to build four, six, eight, 10, 15 people who have got her back. And then her right. decisions, her ability to get more creative with the solutions and having other people asking mm-hmm. and holding her accountable and saying, that's a ludicrous idea. However, if we try it like this and put some bells and whistles on it, uh, we could do it this way and it might just work. And that's where the creativity comes in. And she will have so much more fun rather than being burned out, exhausted and just struggling to get by day by day. And if we get this right, we make braver decisions with the right people around us and we have more fun. Yes. And then we'll know that we're doing it right. Oh, yes. Ah. Mike, you've put together a, a monthly challenge booklet. Can you, oh, yeah. can you tell us how we can get a hold of that and just what, what our listeners will get if they connect with you that way? Okay, yeah, the, the simplicity of the monthly challenge is, it, this, this goes back to the areas of self-care, um, of the things that we can <laughs> do um, that, that uh, um, enable us to step up. Um, and they, they will range from some irritating fitness ones. Now, if you're not into fitness uh, and that side of things, then, then there are different things that can be used. For me, yeah. it's, it's things like um, uh, you, you'll get these uh, challenges put out online with sort of like the, the plank challenge where you have to build up the number of minutes and seconds you do per day every mm-hmm. day so mm-hmm. that at the end of the month you can plank with 15 juggernauts sitting on your back because your stomach muscles are that strong. Um, or, but it's 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 knowing it's what it is. It's the cumulative effect of trying to build a new habit. Yes. Um, and, and so for me, one one of the ones I set up uh, a number of years ago was I started doing uh, push-ups, press-ups every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done that every day uh, for 25 years now, something like that. So I can cumulatively say that I've probably done X million press-ups. Um, right. What's it mean to anybody? Absolutely nothing. However, there's one day when I didn't do any, but I did swim the English Channel that day. So I think that's kind of a payoff. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> right. The cumulative effect of those commitments. And this is something you, you're willing to share with our listeners. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, How do they get a hold of that, Mike? I would just, just come through. Uh, the, the joys of having a surname Pagan, uh, it's not one that's easily forgotten. <laughs> uh, so just come through to me at, at mikepagan.com, drop me a line, and you can uh, get a hold of the information that way. Nice and simple. Um, I've got a community Wonderful. thing that we're building, uh, which is not in place yet, but it's it's my digital guys are just about to press go on it. And that, again, will ju- as per your um, behind-the-scenes team that you have as well, it's building that connections of people yes. where they, we, we have more conversations. We can we can debate and discuss um there's, I mean, there's one Wonderful. foolish challenge we do at the moment, which is a 100-day streak 
and you have to do a certain uh, level of activity every day. And you put a, a pound or a dollar in the pot each day. And then at the end of 100 days, everybody who's made it to 100 days without breaking the streak gets to go out and spend all of the money in the pot. Anybody uh. who fails on one day loses all of the funds that they put in beforehand. <laughs> Interesting little motivational tip. Different accountability. I'm on yeah. day 90 today of my latest hundred streak. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 well, foolish, you've got this, Mike. You, hey, why not? If, why not? Folks, that's Mike Pagan spelled P-A-G-A-N. Uh, there's a dot com for that. That's where you can connect to Mike, get the, uh, the monthly challenge workbook uh, or booklet. There's so many resources you're providing. Mike, thank you for spending some time with us here talking about building our mental wealth team today. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Folks, you've heard it now. It's time to go live on purpose. Did you get what you came for? Give yourself the gift of taking real action on what you realized today. Please share this episode with someone you know would value it. And leave us a rating, too. It's time now to live on purpose. <laughs>